Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I'm just going to give you kind of an update on uh, the business and, well, I'm going to talk about myself a lot. I'm going to read some emails too. It's going to be a little random, so we'll talk a little bit about YouTube Shorts in my now dabbling by the time this episode comes out. There should be a handful of shorts out there on YouTube, which even just a month ago, I was like, I'm not going to do shorts. I'm not going to do short form content. What do I look like? But uh, here here I am now. I'm also going to talk chat GPT a little bit. At the time that I'm recording this, which is, I could tell you, I work ahead a little bit. This is uh, January 13th. It's Friday the 13th when I'm recording this. So it'll be out in a couple weeks or a handful of days, something like that. So we'll talk chat GPT and things are shifting quickly. You know, it took me a little while to get my head around it, but now I have some cool ideas. A random topic, which is uh, lightly related to productivity, but there's a an interesting, I hope, and stupid backstory related to it. And it is the keyboard that I use, which I'll explain for the super nerdy people that even know there's other keyboards available to us. This one's called a Dvorak or Dvorak, which I'm told that's the right way to pronounce it, but it's already like kind of a a weird pretentious thing to talk about but I'll reveal it to you in this video and uh, podcast. Now, one thing, I am recording video. I have been doing video podcast where even if it's a solo episode, I'm going ahead and I'm going to go ahead and record it. And I, I switched it up because thing is, uh, I'm sitting in a different spot. So I'm sitting at the, the studio area for the Mile High Five podcast. So I'm at a, a little table. I have um, what looks to be a super cluttered desk. But here's the thing. When you're rendering video, especially 4K video, it kind of bogs down your machine. So I have a Mac Mini. That's my main like uh, computer. I typically uh, am over at the standing desk over there. And then the Mac Mini is kind of in a little workstation kind of to the side there and have my monitors all set up. But if you're rendering video, your machine is so slow. Even if I have, you know, pretty, you know, decent Mac mini over there, relatively new, lots of memory, all that. It is a slow experience and you surely can't record video, which I'm doing now. Luckily for travel and such, I have this, um, MacBook Pro, which sounds like I'm swimming in computers over here, but I get all my stuff secondhand, buy it on eBay. So I got this MacBook Air, which I think it's like the uh, an M1 version. So it's not the latest and greatest. I got it on eBay. I think it was like uh, lightly used or not used at all. Basically a company bought a bunch of laptops for the employees and they have too many. So they, they sold one. And basically I got this, um, MacBook air that was outfitted quite well for like less than an iPad. So I think it costs like $700 or something like that. So while I'm, while I have plenty of, uh, machines here, I'm pretty, I'm pretty frugal about it. So I don't get cheap stuff, but I, I know if I spend a little time and I, I got the, the laptop before I like had to have one. Uh, so basically I got a pretty good deal on it and funny, funny story. So 
it didn't come with an AC adapter charger. So that it was like much cheaper. And for some people, that's like a red flag. They won't buy a listing if there's something missing. They want the full experience. But I was like, you know what? I could just get an adapter. <laughs> like that's a pretty easy thing to uh, get. But off the bat, it was like $150 cheaper than the other uh, similar items, the similar laptops. Ordered it. They said, hey, you know what? We found it, the charger that goes with it. So we'll go ahead and include it. So I ended up with like essentially an unused computer and I got a very good deal on it. And I'm recording on it right here, which turns out to be a good setup. If you are watching on YouTube, you'll notice there's a stack of stuff in front of me. So I have like a little, um, this little Marshall like a portable guitar amp thing back when I had an electric guitar. So it just kind of looks cool. It's like a little mini amp, but there's a mess of wires and stuff because I'm usually not set up over here. So I tried to hide it a little bit. And one of the things that I have, which is cringeworthy, perfect for YouTube is um, stacks of cash. <laughs> yeah. So it's fake prop money. Uh, some company contacted me a while back and they were like, Hey, just put the money out in front and uh, we'll send it to you. And I'm like, I, I mean, I don't really do that kind of channel, but it's kind of fun and it looks pretty real. I mean, when people come in here, they're like, do you have, um, $15,000 of cash laying on your table? And once they look at it, they're like, Oh, it's, it doesn't, it's not real. It says motion pictures only, but it looks real and it feels kind of real. And, um, it is sitting in front of me for the cringe worthiness, but it's also covering up uh, wires and USB cables and other mess right here. So I kind of like the setup over here, though. I think the camera angle looks a little bit better. I uh, actually prefer to stand up and I'm sitting right now, but a lot of times when I do video or I record a podcast, I stand up. I just have a little more energy, keeps me like a little more lively, but it's all good to go. We're going to be fine today. And just try not to sit down too much. Okay, so let's get into it. Number one, YouTube Shorts. As I mentioned, even just a month ago, I was like, I don't really like short form content. In fact, Corey, uh, viewer, listener, subscriber, and a frequent emailer, thanks Corey, he uh, you know, commented, and I'm going to read his email in a bit here about short form content. And I, I've said it several times, like, Hey, I try to stay away from short form content as a consumer. Cause it sucks me in my, my vice is, uh, is food video. So I love cooking shows. I love cooking and food and eating and all, all the pieces of the puzzle. Right. And I, will watch uh, shorts where people are cooking. That's kind of entertaining. It doesn't really cultivate like a focus and attention span, but it's entertaining. So I check it out occasionally and the apps are so good of showcasing that stuff. It's hard to get away from it. So even if you try to stay away, like they put it out there. That said, I checked out TikTok uh, for a very short amount of time, realized it was a huge time suck, got the fuck out of there, deleted it off my phone, and uh, I don't miss it. Of course, there are competitive substitutes that fill in, so that would be on Instagram, which is another you know, thing that sucks you in. Reels over there, I think it's Reels. Yeah, Reels over on 
Instagram, those will suck you in, you know, short form, short attention span. We just eat it up, right? And then you have YouTube shorts. Now, I have no interest in doing much over on the Instagram side. I enjoy it as a you know consumer, but I try to stay out of there. In fact, I set the screen time limit on my iPhone to five minutes per day. Uh, occasionally, I'll up it, but I'm going to take a look at screen time before too long, perhaps report back to you and let you know that I think my screen time went from like, whatever, maybe hour, three hours per day to like 15 minutes or five minutes or zero. So there are a handful of days where I don't even go into those apps and it's, uh, or Instagram specifically. YouTube, that is when I spend time in. I actually enjoy enjoy some of the longer form uh, videos and YouTube's great. I really do like YouTube quite a bit, but they have to be competitive and they have their shorts area. And I stayed away for uh, quite a while. And I I thought, I mean, the thing is, even though I'm in a fortunate spot where I don't have to try to keep growing the channel or try to get new people like following along, it is somewhat enjoyable, right? So there is some piece, even if I'm like, I don't need to do this, I don't want to do this, like it's leading to a place that I don't want to go. There's something satisfying about like trying something that is challenging, something that you don't know if it's going to work, something that's beyond your skill level, perhaps, where you have to try a little harder. And I'm, I'm reading a bunch of happiness books right now. And that is, that's one of the things, like it makes you happy to be a little bit challenged, not too much, right? Like if I tried to compete against the best YouTubers out there, then, you know, I'm not going to be able to do anything. And sometimes the analogies are, you know, play one-on-one with Michael Jordan versus like someone just a little bit better than you versus like, uh, you know, a, a small kid that has never played basketball before. Like if it's not challenging at all, it's no fun. If you are just getting beat because the other person's so much better. That's no fun. But just a little outside your comfort zone is satisfying. And you could, you know, technically do it. If you're trying to improve, you could technically do it. So I found myself in a spot where I had been complacent for quite a while with the long form YouTube videos. I was going to, you know, do some shorter YouTube videos that are pulling together the skills that I've developed over the past few years, both with communicating, being on camera, technically like using a camera, editing, which I try to stay out of the editing space, even though it's somewhat fun and enjoyable. I'm not very fast at it and other people can do it better. I have a great editor, Anastasia, who's been working with me for a couple of years and I was going to go in that route. I saw shorts and I know that shorts have matured on the YouTube platform. There were, you know, the really uh, YouTube nerdy people will know some of the analytics were kind of goofed up. So YouTube analytics, and I think the algorithm treated your videos short or long, like YouTube shorts or long form videos the same. And it would lead to an issue because if, you know, people were watching, you know, 80% of your YouTube shorts, it's still like less than a minute, right? It's still a very short amount of time. So the algorithm might, and 
people can fact check me on this, but like the algorithm might assume that that viewer wants to watch very short videos from you. And if you have 10 minute videos, they may not, uh, they may not be recommended or suggested your other videos, which they actually like, but they like your short videos too. So there were some issues with that. And I was like, ah, I'm, I'm going to stay away. I'm usually not on the forefront of things. I like to see how they shake out, even though there's some, you know, first user advantages where if you, if you get out there early, you're in great shape. So YouTube shorts, I have been creating a few YouTube shorts and actually ties in with the next topic, which is chat GPT. The interesting thing is I, I didn't know what to do with YouTube shorts. So I'm in a space of, you know, niche sites, side hustles, making money online, and particularly the making money online area is shady. There's scammers. There are people that are, they're just, they're not great to work with. Their content kind of sucks. And I try to stay away from that area. And the thing is like in the space, in the area of content that I'm working, the videos that do the best are the make money online sort of scammer areas. And they, you know, get tons of views. That's not to say you can't make it work if you are, you know, more genuine and you're not catering to that audience specifically. But those are the ones that do the best. So when I would take a look, I'm like, I'm just, I don't want to create videos in that area. I don't want to be associated in the same like uh, content space as those people. And I had a hard time. I was like, and I don't know what to create. And the thing is I have, you know, tons of podcasts out there, tons of episodes, a lot of videos. I do live streams, but in the short space, I had nothing in there and it's hard to get past like zero to one, right? It's hard to do the first one, but once you get rolling, it's a little bit easier and it's a little bit easier when you have, you know, 10 videos or 50 and, and then it doesn't feel like it's that significant. You could just move forward. So I I've been sort of sitting like trying to figure out like, all right, if I do shorts, what would I do? Is this going to be worthwhile at all? And then ChatGPT came out, I think in mid-December is when I started hearing people talk about it. And, you know, I'm not, I don't pay too much attention. I wait until people tell me things. So five or six people uh, were asking me about it. And, uh, you know, we can go back to the live streams or videos where I talked about it. And I said, ah, we'll wait and see. Maybe even on the podcast, I said, it. I don't know, I talk a lot, but I was like, ah, I don't think ChatGPT is going to be as good as what everyone's promising because we've been promised a lot of stuff. So, you know, I'll check it out. We'll see how it goes. I've generally reserved um, or I've tried to, people can call me out, but I've tried to just say, ah, you know what, when things are good, I'll say they're good. When they're not, like, I'll say that also, but I I have no issue with like flip-flopping or changing my opinion. Some people may call it flip-flopping, but I'm just, I'm getting more information and then I'm making some decision based on the new information. And I'm not dogmatic. I, I mean, I don't care one way or another. So that said, playing with ChatGPT, I was like from a you know content uh, standpoint, it's better than the other tools that I've used. And it's providing you know better information, the grammar's better. It doesn't repeat itself. Like many of the issues that I found with some of the other tools, ChatGPT seemed to 
you know, do a better job. So from a content creation standpoint, it could be somewhat useful. I caution people, you know, I think uh, Google can probably tell that it's AI. Um, Other tools out there like Originality AI can tell there's free AI detection tools. And many of those are pretty good at detecting like what's AI or not. And those tools will probably get better. The AI will probably get better in general. But if you're thinking, hey, I'm going to, you know, create a site, I'm going to use all AI content and just, you know, roll it out, publish a thousand articles a month or whatever. I, I'm guessing that's probably not, if it works, it'll be very short term. If it works long term, you're going to have a ton of competitors. So if the, the barrier to entry is very low, if it's easy to do whatever you're doing, there's going to be a ton of competitors and then you're going to have to do something to differentiate. So I think like that's where it leads to, and maybe not even that, uh, you know, long time frame. It could be pretty quick if, again, if everybody can do it, low cost to entry, cheap to do, easy. There's going to be a, a, you know, thousands of people ready to climb over you and just step all on top of you. So that said, I was trying to think like, what can you use the tools for that are a little bit different, you know, ChatGPT specifically. So I was looking more at productivity and project management. And I actually have like a free, it's inside a course platform, but it's a free set of resources where I'm sharing prompts that I'm using, some of the ideas that I have. And I'll put a link in the description and show notes. Again, it's free. You just follow along. Again, it's behind a course platform. So I can organize it and kind of control everything in there versus if I just put it on YouTube, then there's like a million other YouTube videos to compete with there. So let me cough here real quick. So let me give you a couple of examples. And I want you to think about things that you could do in your workflow. So immediately I was trying to figure out like what what I do and how it could help. So a couple quick things, you know, I spend a lot of time doing podcasts and YouTube. So I could save some time by asking for a detailed outline for a podcast where I'm going to cover a certain topic. And I don't have a major issue with getting that information, right? If it's just an outline, it's just sort of guiding me along the way. Plus, if AI can detect what it is, or if an AI detector can figure out that I used AI, it doesn't matter because I could even say, hey, I used AI. If I am riffing on topics, I'm using my own words, my own thoughts anyway. So no issue there. Same thing for like YouTube videos too, right? Same kind of deal. Get a quick outline on something. I mean, I'm going to adapt the outline. I'm going to change things anyway. So not a big deal. You can actually, you know, go a little deeper. Sometimes on uh, my other show, Mile High Fi, we don't have, actually, up until this point, we probably only have 5% of our episodes with like a strong intro with, uh, you know, even a short four sentence narrative to get us started. And that would go a long way. Just say, hey, we're talking to this person. We're going to cover these three topics. It could be simple. And, you know, we just, we're often in a hurry in that particular podcast. So, it is um, like just 
<laughs> let's fucking get started. Let's go. And then, you know, hopefully we'll do a better job. You know, we, we should have actually been recording like intros later and just say, Hey, here's what we cover, blah, blah, blah. But we're just trying to get it out the door, at least in the, you know, the first year and a half of us working on the show for, uh, you know, resource constraints. Basically we're in a hurry all the time. So asking for outlines, great use of time. Um, there's, I, I don't code, uh, currently, I do have a software background, but I never, I haven't done coding in, in years now. So people are using chat GPT for debugging for other like coding exercises, uh, formatting HTML, CSS, other things like that, that are, you know, technical and maybe outside your skill set, and it can get you started. I haven't played with it in that format at all. I was trying to figure out how to do some other productivity type activities. And I'll just give you an example with project management. I'm kind of lumping those two together. You know, part of it is process. Part of it is coming up with SOPs, which uh, we've talked about in many episodes in the past and just templates in general. So let me just give you, I'll rattle off a few really quickly. And then if, if you want to dig deeper, head over to uh, the link in the description, I believe it's nichesiteproject.com slash AI resources. Again, it's free. It's within a course. So you have to enter your name and email and then you get like a login and stuff like that. So here's the route that I went. Cool thing for people that haven't played with ChatGPT, it's a chat format and you're like chatting with AI and it can remember the other things that you said in the conversation, like a real person. <laughs> so you can go down a specific route and say, oh yeah, well, I'm asking you about these things. And remember when I asked you before about, you know, concept X and Y, well, be sure you integrate that into the next answer, for example. So I said, I have a team of writers. I have a content team of writers and I want to create like a process flow for what happens with the workflow. I have 20 writers. I just gave arbitrary numbers, but it doesn't actually matter. I was like, I have uh, 20 writers. I have two lead writers who are also editors. I have a project manager, one product ma project manager, and I have one general manager slash CEO. How could this process flow work? And I don't know much about process flows, so be detailed. And I got some response. And, you know, it, it's what you might expect. Uh, someone comes up with an idea, or the writers write it, the editors edit, the uh, general manager oversees it, the project manager coordinates with the writers, with the general manager, and with uh, the editors to make sure things happen. And someone publishes it, so on and so forth, right? So you have a, you know, it's text-based, but it tells you what happens. Great. Pretty straightforward. Next chat, I said, are, are there any other roles that might help for this content team? And they listed, you know, three or four other roles and what that role would do. And I said, okay, now integrate those other roles into the process flow. Cool. Well, I don't have all those people. Chat GPT, can you please create job listings for Upwork, which is a freelance marketplace and platform, create job listings so that I could hire people in those roles. And then it spit out job listings. 
So all of a sudden, you know, originally people were like, can I get a thousand word blog post uh, for really cheap from AI? And, you know, at best you're going to end up with like a derivative piece of content, right? Not that great. But if you are thinking about your process and how you can actually save time and like what you can do, that's a whole different situation. So now I have job listings for roles that I didn't even know I needed on my team. And now I could take them over to Upwork. Now, like everything, it's not going to be perfect. You're going to have to customize it. You'll have to edit. But the big thing, big difference from before, the the grammar is much better. There's not like random fucking statements about other stuff that is unrelated. It makes sense in the context of what you're asking. And because the chat can remember, if there is some something a little bit off, you could say, oh yeah, let's make this all these job listings and roles and process flow, this is for a content team for a blog on a specific topic. And then you've just shifted everything to be very niche specific for you, for whatever you're trying to do. So this is just a quick example where if you have, like me, I'm a project manager, right? So I have some specific knowledge and I know people struggle with some of the things. Now, I have done what I described ChatGPT doing uh, several times. So I don't know that I would save a huge amount of time, but I'm a slow typer, which I'll come back to in a second here. But I'm a slow typer. I just, I'm, I'm not that fast and uh, it's fine. Like I've gotten by, I've tried to improve it a little bit, but I, I don't really care that much. I mean, I'm not, I'm not typing that much these days. But uh, the fact is, even though I could do it pretty efficiently and effectively, creating these job listings, the process flow, all that stuff. It was faster getting a head start with ChatGPT. So even though it's not perfect, it was probably 75 to 85% there. I would need to add a couple other things and it would be fine. Uh, one step further, I didn't do this in the example when I went through it, but I was like, uh, maybe I want to get a catchy, job listing to use on Upwork. So it's like a headline for the job listing. And I can use ChatGPD to come up with that to make it a little more enticing than all the other listings that are out there for the same role. So I think when you when you do step back and you think about your specific tasks, things that you don't know how to do, you can potentially get a pretty good head start by using ChatGPT. Now, interesting, uh, within a uh, you know, few weeks or days, I'm not sure how quickly that Jasper AI was able to roll it out, but they rolled out a, a beta version of their chat, which I think, right? So once I started digging in uh, via Ariel Phoenix's bulk content publishing framework, uh, she has a spreadsheet that uses API calls to OpenAI. And for the people that don't know, OpenAI is the company that created, you know, GPT-3 and, you know, the whole GPT series, uh, including ChatGPT. So I didn't get into OpenAI or create a login until I checked out Ariel's stuff. So uh, basically, if you use OpenAI and you, you know, put in your billing information, you can use the playground area, which essentially gives you a, a text 
area to type in. And then there's a lot of different sort of presets. And essentially it's what Jasper does, but at a fraction of the price. Now, over on OpenAI, it's not as sexy. It's not, uh, the, the process flow isn't quite as good, but it does the job. And when I started playing around and looking a little bit closer, I realized, oh, you could use like a, a chat. It's using, you know, chat GP or it's using GPT three, right? If you look at the, the uh, whole roadmap and understand the different versions out there, uh, from what I understand, you know, chat GPT is the latest, it is in beta version, but there's active, you know, release versions and it's GPT three. And there are various iterations and versions of that. One of the templates, one of the uh, sort of scenarios that you can use is chat. So it's not going to work as well as chat GPT, but it's pretty darn close. And I, I tried to test a couple things here and there and before too long. I mean, actually, by the time this episode comes out, chat GPT might be out of beta and it might not be free anymore and you would have to pay. Again, it's like a fraction of the price. I don't think there's an affiliate program, so I don't get anything out of like telling you <laughs> this, but it's way cheaper than paying a monthly fee to any of the companies, which shooting myself in the foot, right? I should be telling you that uh, you got to sign up for, I, mean, I won't say a specific company, but like you got to sign up for this company or that AI company or whatever, because I, I get an affiliate and it's just better. But as far as I could tell, you know, cut out the middleman, unless you're getting specific value from a specific company um, with their front end, I think it's a tough call, man. I, I think these, um, if more people, it'll be tough, right? So I'm, I'm processing this uh, as we speak, but creators like myself will be greatly incentivized to try to push people to the products because they earn money from it. And actually one of the other uh, YouTube creators that I've seen out there, um, actually, I don't know her uh, directly, but you know, she talks about blogging and stuff like that. And one of her videos is uh, basically like how to make 5k a month referring people to um, Jasper. And yeah, I mean, you can make a lot of money doing it. Even if there's better alternatives, like, you know, follow the incentives, follow the money, and you'll see like why people are doing it. Again, OpenAI, way cheaper over there, should do the job for most people. And, you know, you can do some, you know, custom stuff over there if you want to. So all that to say, we should all be sharing information. So if you have any cool prompts that you're using for chat GPT, or uh, GPT in general, let me know. Like I'm, I'm sharing a ton of free stuff uh, over on the resources uh, course area, the free resources that I mentioned before. I might, I'm not sure, but I might do a you know very small uh, paid offshoot for specific prompts and specific formats and sort of templates of prompts that you can use uh, along with some samples, right? So I think there could be some value added. And right now it is, uh, it's kind of my uh, active, like living document notes area. So as I'm doing stuff, I'm like, I did this, here was the output, like, here's some ideas. Maybe you could play around with that. If I 
if I actually did uh, more organization, cleaned it up, uh, made certain areas where it's like, all right, we're covering this. Here's the topic area. Here are the main takeaways and just made it very concise and clear. Uh, that I may have as a small behind a you know paywall be- because, well, I, I, I would have no other reason to, <laughs> I would have no other reason to clean it up and make it more usable uh, unless I was charging for it, which is interesting. I actually got a comment the other day on the YouTube short where uh, someone was like, I can't remember exactly what he, he said, but he, essentially he said I was mean to him. He asked me a question and I was, I was mean and I didn't really answer his question. And I was like, Hey, uh, sorry. If you, if you're a student of mine, shoot me an email, you know how to get in touch with me directly. And, uh, otherwise I'm not sure like what the issue was. I try to answer some questions, but I don't, you know, I don't do all that stuff. I, I don't, I'm not a great, uh, comment watcher and all that stuff. I, you know, I try to do some, but I'm usually not, I'm not watching very closely, to be honest with you. Not a high priority for me. And he, he was like, Hey, you know, you should treat, I'm uh, paraphrasing, but he was like, you should treat everyone the same, like whether they're your student who paid you money or a random jackass on YouTube. And I, 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 I wrote a response and then uh, I deleted it because it, it was really, it was, it was more harsh than it needed to be. But basically I was like, Hey, that's a different business model. Like I, I don't treat everyone the same. I don't have time for it. Not a priority. He was like, you earn money from ads. I was like, I don't run ads on my channel guy. Um, but there are other people that answer all the questions. They're very nice. And I was like, Alex at WP Eagle. He's great. Go follow him. He answers a ton of questions and, you know, he'll, he's uh, polite and nice. And uh, I recently, I've, especially in live streams, I've made it a point to be, I don't want to be abrasive, but like if people are lazy and I don't, I don't want them to interact with me, I'll kind of, I'll be a little bit meaner. And I think some people have seen that. And, and I'm not, in real life, I'm very nice and I would never, you know, I would, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty chill (laughs) and I try to help people out, uh, especially in in person is completely different, but on the internet, things are a little bit different and I have to do some uh, compartmentalizing and comments on YouTube are weird. People in chat are weird sometimes. So anyway, this person got their feelings hurt and I, I was, uh, I was direct in my reply. I wasn't as mean as I I was, but I was just like, I'm the wrong guy for you. So follow someone else. That's great. Um, and I mean, from, from my standpoint, he commented on a video, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, that's a good thing. That's a good sign. I, I don't want to annoy people, but, you know, it's good if I annoy you that, you know, you, you move on to the next person. There's plenty of people out there for you, you know, just keep moving on. If you don't like me, that's okay. So I mentioned earlier that I'm a slow typer back in, I think it was 2014, 2014. I listened to the Tim Ferriss podcast and he had the founder of the creator of WordPress, the founder of WordPress automatic is the parent company. And, uh, his name's Matt Mullenweg. 
So he's, you know, the, the founder, the creator of WordPress, which is an offshoot of some other, uh, you know, open source content management system. But I thought that it was a great interview. Matt seemed pretty cool. And he talked about this alternative keyboard that he used. And it's called Dvorak. Basically, I mean, I use the same keyboard on a laptop, like, you know, the QWERTY format, but you can go to your settings, pretty much any computer, you can go to your settings and change it in the international keyboard settings. So of course there are other languages, there's other characters for other languages. So you, you could change it to an international keyboard. And I think pretty much all of them are available. And some of them are just alternative keyboard layouts. So the keys are in different spots. And generally, generally, uh, the most used keys are under the home position, right? Under your, your four, uh, four fingers on each hand, right? So those, those most used keys are underneath there. The idea is because you don't have to move your fingers as much. It's really, you know, reducing the wear and tear on your fingers uh, over a lifetime, really. The hard part is I had about, I think like 20, we'll, we'll say 25 years of typing where I, I learned on the QWERTY keyboard and the, the story, right? And I think this is accurate. The QWERTY keyboard was designed that way because back when typewriters, uh, way back, typewriters were mechanical and the little the keys would, uh, you know, flop around. If people type too fast, the, uh, the little key arm deals would uh, get tangled up. So they needed to have a keyboard that wasn't so efficient so that, you know, people could type a little faster uh, or, or no, so they wouldn't type too fast, right? So QWERTY is made so you, you don't type too fast so the keys don't get tangled up. Well, we don't have keys anymore. It's all electronic. We need to be able to type as fast as possible, probably. So uh, this Dvorak keyboard has uh, a good layout. And there's a couple other alternative keyboards that have the same idea where like, how can we lay out the keyboard most efficiently? For example, like the semicolon button, not used that much. So that's uh, tucked away in a, in a faraway corner for your pinky that you don't have to get to too often. The really hard part is learning a new keyboard. And, uh, oh gosh, let me tell you, it is fucking hard. It's really tough, especially, you know, if you've, you know, typed for decades and, you know, you think of words and keys and typing in blocks. So you don't have to think about the individual letters. You're thinking words. So, it's really hard to unlearn the QWERTY keyboard and then learn a new one. Now, the funny thing is I, I remember talking to, uh, it was a, one of my buddy's brothers. So he's an acquaintance, a good, good dude, but he was like, oh, that doesn't sound hard at all. I bet I can learn that in a week. And uh, you know what? Some people may be able to, you know, some folks are musical and may be able to pick up an instrument that, uh, you know, they've never played before and they may be great at it. Maybe they had some skills that transfer from another instrument or something else. Right. But generally it is way harder than you think. And I was like, Oh dude, uh, 
you're crazy. Actually, when I switched over in 2014, I mean, I just, I did it cold. So I was just like, I'm changing my keyboards over and I'm going to learn this. And for the first, I would say one to two months, it was extremely frustrating. I, I can't tell you, <laughs> I can't explain how frustrating it was. It was, I mean, it was when I was still working full time. And I remember I would get like chat messages from my coworkers and I would want to reply back. And I'm just like, ah, I want to get, I want to get this out but it was so slow and I, I literally went cold turkey, did the whole thing, didn't cheat, didn't go back um, and it was so tough. I went uh, to cert- like some websites where you could type, um, you know, do the typing uh, test and s- speed lessons and all that stuff. So I tried to improve. And I think, you know, generally, uh, I type the same speed as I did before. I just move my fingers way less. So, uh, I think the stat that I heard is like, you're again, I think I said it before, like 70% less, um, typing motion. So like technically like my fingers are moving way less. So I think I, I type about, uh, 35 words per minute or so when I, was studying and trying to go faster and actually like spending some time doing speed lesson tests and all that kind of stuff. I think I got up to close to 50 words per minute or so, which is, I think that's kind of, kind of respectable. I'm not quite sure. I was never a super fast typer. I know when I hear my wife typing like in another room or whatever, I think she's like messing around and just like hitting the keys as fast as she can, but she's actually you know typing that fast. So yeah, I use the Dvorak keyboard. So if someone comes up and tries to like use my computer, they'll hit a couple buttons and they're like, what the fuck? Is your computer messed up? Like what's going on? A couple uh, common questions uh, you might be thinking, what about on like your iPhone or a phone or tablet or whatever? So you can set it to the international keyboard as well. However, it's a different motion for me. So I'm just, you know, using my two thumbs to type on my phone. So I use a regular QWERTY keyboard on my phone and it's no big deal. Like it's, um, it must be a different part of the brain. It's different, uh, muscle, uh, connections and synapses and all that stuff. So no big deal. I could type on my phone just fine. However, this has happened a couple times. It's kind of embarrassing and stupid, but, uh, when I was, I think it was like, I was shipping something. So I went to like Staples or whatever, and they say, all right, just, you know, type in your information over here, type in the address, they hand the keyboard over to you. And I'm typing with my two index fingers. Uh, actually, I always forget, I, I start typing and then I'm like, oh, I don't know how to type on this keyboard anymore. So I look like a, you know, really old person that didn't grow up with computers, typing with my index fingers and going painfully slow. So I'm sure it looks hilarious, but, uh, I would say, you know, if you, if you want to exercise your patience <laughs> and suddenly go from being able to type, uh, however fast you type now, you know, something respectable, something where people don't laugh at you too about, I think I went down to like eight words per minute for the first week or so slowly you get a little faster, but it was so frustrating. Oh my gosh. I can't even tell you. And now, I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't even actually type any faster. I just um, have a weird keyboard. <laughs> I have a weird keyboard layout. And uh, 
I don't move my fingers as much. They do have little like overlays where you can like change the stickers on your keyboard and all that stuff. But I don't do that. I just, um, you know, it costs money. And I was like, I, I can figure it out the first, you know, couple months or actually the first month or so, you know, I printed out the, the layout and just set it next to my keyboard. And then like, you, you know, so like once you start typing, like you, you remember it pretty quick, even though I couldn't type very fast, like I knew where the buttons are or were are. So Dvorak really weird thing. And like I said, I heard about it on the Tim Ferriss podcast way back. It was, uh, I was like, ah, oh, this will be cool. And once I jumped in, I was like, oh, I don't know if this was a good idea, but eventually, you know, it worked out. Okay. I did get my wife to try it and switch, uh, for a little while, but I think she abandoned it, uh, after, you know, handful of weeks, she didn't switch over a hundred percent. I think she just like dabbled with it a little bit and then was like, oh man, I don't have time for this. But like I said, I went cold turkey, so it was good to go. All right. I think that's it for today. If you, oh, I totally forgot. Corey did send an email and I do want to mention this. So it's a, Corey, thanks for sending this over. It's a callback to another episode plus a little bit about shorts. So he says the podcast with the mobile local site was good. Oh, mobile local site. And that was with uh, Brooks Conkle, by the way. So from a few weeks back and Corey says that there was a big takeaway that wasn't explicitly mentioned. And basically Brooks built a multi-channel content brand. Corey says he's had the idea of creating a local site for many years. And if it's in any decent sized Metro area, you could probably hire local content creators to get original content. And Corey says, I've got enough content, uh, on the, on the plan for now though. So pretty, I mean, I think he's spot on. The thing is like any, I think any city would, would probably over 50,000 people. You should not have a problem finding local creators. A lot of folks are going to end up being like hobbyists and you could find them on, you know, Instagram, people put a shitload of time into Instagram and like other uh, platforms where, I mean, it's, it's certainly worthwhile. I'm not uh, making fun or I'm not disparaging them. Right. So creating the content is fine. It's, it's interesting. They'll put so much effort into, you know, writing a good post a lot of text and like those get traction, you know, people like those, but it's, it's so hard to get, or at least for me, cause I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't love the, that format. It's so hard to get traction and it's a bit of a treadmill as far as I could tell, but those are the kind of people, right? If you identify a local area and you're like, Hey, you're putting out great content. Like, do you, do you want to work on something where more people can see it? Like we can cross promote, like that would be a great way to work together. So I, and I agree a hundred percent, you know, it's a multi channel content brand, which if you look at what I'm doing, that is exact. I've found a few that I've layered on over the years, blog, YouTube podcast, and I'm sticking with YouTube and adding shorts to the mix, which is Corey's next point. 
And he says, you recently mentioned that you don't like short video content for all these platforms. I don't really either, but the reality is that these get organic reach far better than anything else and also crush it in paid ads. So Corey is uh, skilled in the paid ads area. I'm not so much. I dabbled with it a little bit, but it wasn't for me for what I was trying to do. And that, that's the thing, Corey, right? Like I, I know that the short form content was getting, you know, huge reach. And when I looked at my videos and I looked at the audience, something like 80% or so of the views on my YouTube channel, they're coming from existing subscribers, which is great, right? However, that means like you're, you're not growing like your channel is not growing. And it was very clear to me in the last several months, you know, number one, I saw my suggested videos change, right? As a YouTube consumer, I can see it's different. It's a bunch of shit that I don't want to watch actually. So I think it's, it's a fail point because it was way off the mark. It's still off the market showing me a bunch of Minecraft stuff. And I thought it was because I was with uh, one of my friends and his son was into Minecraft. And I thought it was like a locality based thing. But uh, generally my YouTube suggestions have been off the mark quite a bit. Probably 30% of the videos are something, some things I would never watch. And they are, you know, I think YouTube's trying to get me to watch other uh, types of content, right? They're just testing it out. I mean, a lot of the videos are, I mean, they get hundreds of thousands or millions of views. So they're trying to push me a really popular channels, but they must think I'm like much younger than I am. Cause it's again, a lot of, uh, there's a bunch of Pokemon shit too. Like, I don't give a fuck about Pokemon cards or whatever. (laughs) I don't even know. I don't even know what they are, but I don't care about them. And I don't want to watch videos about those. So I know that the short form videos, the, the shorts are getting the huge reach. So I created a couple of them. I tried to, you know, get into the mindset of like what a viewer might want to watch. And I had to be, this is the big part. So I had to be inspired a little bit to actually create those videos. So I didn't want to pander directly to like the make money online kind of videos. But when I started checking out ChatGPT, I was like, oh, I know a video that would be perfect for 45 seconds to one minute. So now that I am inspired to create it, I have like 20 ideas and that's the thing that I needed. I needed something to, something that would work, something that I gave a shit about and that was interested in. Otherwise I would just be like going through the motions and not really care about it at all, which would be just boring from a video standpoint. So the the other big thing, you know, I created a few of these shorts. I can see it's like 95% non-subscribed people that probably have never seen my channel before, which is great. Now, one thing that I, you know, I, I don't believe TikTok has much capacity for, like if I was over there, I maybe could grow a following, but people probably don't want to leave TikTok. TikTok doesn't want people to leave the platform. So you end up with a bit of an issue there. So the good part with YouTube shorts is there's potential for people to watch the short 
And then maybe, hopefully, they probably watch longer form video content and they may come over. So I can see the the path. I can see the connection on how that can work. And that's what I'm trying to do. So I, I think, you know, I've only done like three or four videos at this point. So we'll see how it goes. But just immediately I can see, okay, that video took off for a, you know, a few hours and then it, it tapered off. I don't know if it'll change up. I've heard uh, a couple people, they'll, they'll say like, if I have one video that goes a little viral, I'll get views on my other videos because someone will actually go and check out and see uh, what other stuff you have. You know, there's, there's some flaws in it, but like I said, I finally got a little inspired for short form content. I can create something that I'm interested in that is somewhat helpful. And I see the path to get them over to the longer form videos, which ultimately they hopefully find my email list, right? Hopefully they find this podcast. Hopefully they find the blog and some other stuff. But once they get into the ecosystem, they can learn about the other pieces. And from a you know podcasting standpoint, it's a real like there's virtually no viral component. Some people have done well on Spotify. I think that may be one of the the few places where you can sort of catch uh, some traction via the algorithm. I know you you can you know get placed higher up over on the Apple podcast side, but that's pretty tough and you know it's tough to stay there. You have to sort of have a sort of continuous growth. But from a short standpoint, getting in front of a new audience, like I like I said, I could see the route. And it has been cool to see like new people like watch the videos. I need to put the time in, right? I need to put the reps in and see how it goes. And my hope is if I do, you know, I I usually think of big chunks of work, right? So maybe if I do 50 shorts, maybe one or two are going to do pretty good. And that would be a, a reasonable success rate for a new format of content that I am unskilled in. I don't know what I'm doing, trying to do my best. Uh, I consume some short form videos so I I can see some patterns that seem to work, but I think it'll be, it'll be something that I want to test. And I usually want to (laughs) give, I usually want to give something enough of a chance where I can get the reps in and I can see what works. And like I said, if I have one or two that do pretty well out of 50, that's probably a success. I have only done four now and, you know, some are going to be bad ideas. Some are going to be implemented poorly. And, you know, there's a host of issues that I may run into, but if I try to improve, you know, one thing each time I do a new video that, you know, hopefully after 50 of them, I end up with something that's higher quality that can do better. Now, one thing I don't know how to do, and I, I got to wrap up here, I gotta, need to go to the gym, but at this point in time, I'm not sure the best way to get the right like thumbnail for shorts. So if someone knows how, I, I feel like I've seen uh, some tips on that, I'll Google it. But if you want to help out, you can shoot me a, an email feedback at doug.show. If you're watching on YouTube, you can leave a comment and say, hey, if you want to adjust the thumbnail, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the first few videos that I've done, like the thumbnail uh, pretty much sucks. Uh, one, once or twice, I actually tried to 
you know, put the text on the the first frame or so. So it, you know, it immediately shows what the what the video is. And then the automatically selected short uh, thumbnail, the thumbnail for the short was uh, the middle of the video. It was just like a, a, a nearly a blank screen. It's like unintelligible, not helpful, not enticing. So I don't know how to do the thumbnails right. I got to look that up. This, this should be uh, something that's really uh, easy to Google. So, okay, that's it for today. Thanks a lot. If you have any questions, uh, comments, complaints, feedback at doug.show, and we will catch you on the next episode.